Bibles, then you can uh, turn them on or open them up. We're in Luke chapter 18 today. Um, and look, you're probably just at home, sitting down somewhere or off with this on the side. Just can I get your attention and get your Bible out. Uh, you'll learn a lot more. We're going to work through some 45 verses consecutively today. You'll learn a lot more if you've got your Bible in your hand. So if you've got your phone on you, then turn your Bible on. Open that up, and we're in Luke chapter 18, where, as I said, we're working through a, a fair bit of Scripture, but I need to because it describe, we're describing six different events arranged in a sequence by Luke to teach us, among other things, uh, to teach us what happens when Jesus meets the rich. And I want to show you from the outset that when Jesus meets the rich, he doesn't care about their money, he just wants them to be saved. You ready? So this starts in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I will just paraphrase this parable. Jesus tells this story to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so that's the purpose of the story that the narrator tells us. Luke says, Jesus told this story to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Two men go up to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee and one's a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself like <coughs> thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, you know, extortionists, the unjust, or even adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He says this, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything that I get. So that's the Pharisee. The other, the tax collector, wouldn't so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who, humbles them, everyone who exalts themselves will be abased or humbled. And the one who humbles themselves will be exalted. The next story that Luke puts in there is where Jesus is wandering along and the children um, come to try and see, um, be with him. And all the people are trying to uh, say, stop kids, get out of the way, this is grown-up business, don't bother the teacher, all of that sort of thing. And Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Then he says, I tell you the truth, in verse 17, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Um, then Luke goes on to the next encounter. Verse 18, once a religious leader asked Jesus. I'm showing you this sequence because it's no accident. Luke's moving on to some teaching from Jesus that's going to clash massively with the mindset of his readers. There's a truth that's going to be hard to understand and accept. What, um, what, and what God is looking for is humility and childlike faith. That is, when we approach this teaching, when we approach this truth, um, God wants us to come, the, Luke wants us to come, the Holy Spirit wants us to come to this teaching with humility. God have mercy on me and childlike faith. Like, I don't know. I'm trusting. I've got both hands up. Whatever I believe, I lay down, Father. I'm listening. Verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, 
you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, uh, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Um, who's this religious leader sounding like in the context of what we've read so far? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men because I do this and I do that. Um, who was, you know, people trusting in their own righteousness. All these things I've obeyed since I was young. We, the readers, can see how Luke is positioning this religious leader here as a person who's trusting in themselves and what he's achieved in righteousness. He comes to Jesus, what must I do? All these things I have done. I've done all this. Now, what else do I have to do? Listen to Jesus' response. In Mark's account, actually, Mark tells us that Jesus felt genuine love for this guy. Um, back in Luke 18, verse 22, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus wants this guy to be saved. He says, all right, here's something you can do. Let go of your own achievements and possessions. Stop trusting them. Come humble like a child and trust me. Then you'll have treasure in heaven, verse 23. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. It's so sad that someone can walk away from salvation. It's so sad. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? Who in the world can be saved? Even in society, we can understand this question. This guy that came to Jesus, he was a good guy. He was a religious leader. He did good. He upheld a standard. He followed the code. You know, if a good religious guy misses out, then what hope have the rest of us got? But in their culture, it was even more of a shock because more than in our culture, in their culture, riches were associated with God's favor. That is, most people were in subsistence living. They didn't have much money. But if you had money, if you had wealth, if you were blessed, if you like, with more stuff, if you were able to accumulate wealth, then you were seen as favored by God. It was, you were closer to God. You are more special to God. So if the rich were rejected, then what hope have the rest of us got? Who then in the world can be saved? This also helps us to understand what Jesus was asking this religious leader to do. To give up his trust in money, sure, but also to give up the respect of his peers in that culture. To give up what he used to value in, you know, in himself about being righteous. Because all of, all of uh, the wealth and the success that he, uh, that he had was the security for his righteousness. It was attached to that. And Jesus is saying, drop that um, and follow me, then you'll have eternal life. And he went away sad because he had a lot. How hard is it for the rich 
to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says. Not because of money, but because of the temptation to trust it. Because of the temptation to cling to wealth and all that it represents. So he goes away sad and everyone's looking on like, what? How is that guy rejected? He was rejected? Then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus says, what's impossible for people is possible with God. I, we sing this, you know, nothing's impossible for God, um, everything's possible with God. Uh, there are a few places in Scripture that, that literally say that. This is one of them, and it's very much in the context of even the rich can get saved. <laughs> um, even those with money that, that they can trust, even those with enough money that they can be tempted to trust it, even us in Australia, even we, even we can be saved. What's impossible for people is possible with God. That is, salvation is impossible for us. We've seen that in the context. Not my good works, not my wealth. I can't buy it, I can't earn it. It's only possible with God. Everyone's standing around trying to make sense of this. And here's Peter, who's usually the first to speak up, who jumps in here. I love this, um, because it's what I do, and it's what you would probably do too. And Peter goes... We've left our homes to follow you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm seeing you shifting the scorecard, Jesus, and I reckon we're doing all right on this new system. Um, uh, you've probably done this too. I do this all the time. Dominic and I did this yesterday. We were talking about this whole don't trust your wealth and um, trust God and um, Jesus meets the rich and he wants us to be saved and we were discussing this. I was getting feedback from her on my sermon, which I always do. So if it's any good, you can blame my wife. Um, all right. And we, we recognize that we were doing this very thing. We've gone, yes, we've taken a sacrifice to go into ministry, and, and we've taken this hit, and we've given this away, and we try to be generous, and we're, you know, we, look how much we could have if we'd only just served ourselves our whole life. And, and Jesus, look, we, we've, we've done this, haven't we? Haven't we sacrificed? Have we, have we earned something in this space? Jesus' response to Peter is so pastoral and true. Um, nothing to do with salvation, by the way. Because the, remember the rich guy is asking about salvation, and Jesus talked about salvation. How hard is it for rich to get saved? Now, who then can be saved? Jesus says, it's not impossible for God. And Peter says, well, we've left our homes. So the context is, can we get saved? And Jesus says, uh, yes, he says, you have left your homes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Notice there Jesus isn't saying, because you left your homes, you can get saved, as opposed to the rich guy who wouldn't, so he didn't. Jesus is just affirming here that giving up stuff for the sake of the kingdom is the best investment in the world. I've talked heaps before about the beauty and the wonder and the, the joy um, and the life that flows to us from heaven, that, that Jesus in us is the reward, that he is heaven, that his life inside of us, us being transformed into his likeness, us wanting the things that Jesus wants, us 
being satisfied with his satisfaction and full of his joy. That is the kingdom. And, and the more we get that, the more we realize, wow, nothing else matters. And that's what we look forward to for eternity, being who we should be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Giving up stuff for the kingdom is the best investment in the world. But all this is a result of salvation. We don't get saved by giving up stuff. Salvation comes first. We can't earn it with sacrifices any more than we can earn it with good works or wealth. How then can we be saved? Look what Luke puts in next in verse 31 of Luke 18. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He will be mocked, treated shamefully and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he'll rise again. Jesus is talking about how then can we be saved. It's his death and resurrection. It's not possible for man to win salvation. But it's possible for God to win it for us. Jesus would die for us, carry our shame and guilt and pride and everything dead and wrong with him into the grave and smash its power and leave it buried and rise with pure and brilliant life to give everyone who trusts him. And that's how we get saved, by trusting Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his life given to us because of his sacrifice to pay the price that we should have paid. Deserve to pay. That's how anyone gets saved. Verse 34. But they didn't understand any of this. (laughs) The significance of his words was hidden from them and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Um, As is true for everyone who thinks that you can earn salvation, that you can be good enough, that you can obey enough commandments, that that your right and your wrong ledger can balance out in a way that will win you some way into heaven. Or or that you can be wealthy enough, that you can purchase it, that you can, that you can buy it, or that you can be the best potential human that you can possibly be in the proof of all of your possessions and influence and whatever. Anything that we think we can do to get saved is this. They didn't understand any of it. The significance of those words was hidden from them. They failed to grasp what Jesus was talking about. And from verse 35 of chapter 18, the next, uh, this happened. As Jesus approached Jericho, a a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he was asked what was happening. They told him Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, Where else have we heard that in this sequence? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he shouted only he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. Bring that guy over here. So he's a blind beggar. Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? What a great question. And the guy says, Lord, I want to see. See the way Luke has arranged this account? They didn't understand. They couldn't grasp the significance. 
Have mercy, God. I want to see. I want to see. Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Not your works have healed you. Not your goodness has healed you. Not your wealth has healed you. Your faith. And not that that's even a credit to us. It's that we go, we acknowledge that's true. And I believe it. Yeah, you can have massive amount of faith in something that's terrible and it won't help you. You can walk out onto very thin ice with enormous faith and you'll fall through. You can, you can sort of put your, just gingerly crawl out onto very thick ice and you'll be fine. It's the object of our faith that is worthy, not the amount of it. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it, praise God too. This guy gets saved. Who then can be saved? Well, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. He's a blind beggar who gets saved. These accounts aren't randomly put together. There's a flow and some powerful lessons for us. When Jesus meets the rich, he doesn't care about their money. He wants them to be saved. He wants us to let go of our need for wealth and open our arms in trust to the God who loves us. And I know that money is important in our culture. We kind of depend on our finances for our sense of identity or success or significance or security or hope for the future um, or comparison. How am I doing compared to everyone else? Um, when we say, um, do you reckon they're doing all right? And they go, yeah, don't worry. I think they're doing all right. We're talking about money. When we say, has someone got enough for their retirement? We, need, we mean money. When we say, um, how secure, you know, are you for your future, we're usually talking about money. We all do to some extent. And here's the other way to test your heart, as I did to myself. If I found out that next week my income was going to double ongoing, not yours, just mine. If I found out that my income was going to double ongoing and I was going to get twice as much money, I would be definitely okay with that. Like I would be super okay with that. In fact, I hate tomato, right? I just, just, I can't, I put it in and my mouth just goes, no, it's revolting. I don't even think it's a food group and I think I've poisoned my children that way too because neither of them like it either. I cannot eat raw. If you cook it, I can eat it, but raw, ugh, it's terrible. I, I just physically can't, not since I was a little kid. But if you told me that, if Danny, if you eat three whole raw tomatoes, your income will double next week ongoing, I would probably do it. I would make myself do it. And I reckon you would too with the thing that you don't think you would do because our hearts believe that there's more hope with more money and there's more security with more money and there's more joy with more money and there's more freedom with more money and there's more significance with more money and there's more, there's more um, pleasure with more money and there's more worth with more Money and there's more respect with more money and there's more influence with more... We, you know what I mean? My heart still wants it. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's not the amount, you see, it's the temptation to trust it. 
How hard is it? Well, with God, all things are possible. Watch this. This is the last encounter in this sequence in Luke, start of chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus? What's your vote? I went Zacchaeus. Dominic said Zacchaeus. I'm going with Zacchaeus. <coughs> named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus. But he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree beside the road that Jesus was going to pass that way. Why did he climb up the tree? Because he wanted to see. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, "Come quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Um, that's not Jesus being invasive in that culture. That's Jesus saying, I'm with you. You and me, we, we do this. I'll come to your place. I'll, I'll, I'll enter your sphere. I'll sit with you. I'll say to the world, I'm happy to be with this person. Uh, such that Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, wow, and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Okay. Which tells you how culturally shocking it was that Jesus did that. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. And Jesus replied, half is not enough. I told the guy in the last chapter, no, he didn't. It's never about the money. God doesn't want our money. He wants us to receive salvation. I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Zacchaeus is rich, but so what? Who is he like in the account? The proud prayer or the humble tax collector? The wealthy religious leader or the blind guy who just wanted to see? He's up in this tree so he can see. Jesus says, I'm coming to eat with you. Zacchaeus stands up. The poor can have half my wealth. And I'll do what I can to repair relationships that I've damaged um, around me. And Jesus says, salvation. That's why I came. To, to seek the lost and to save them. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Nothing is impossible with God. I have resisted the urge to try and specifically apply this to our situations. Um, because I don't know. I don't know what you give regularly to church life. I don't know what you I don't know. I don't know what you what you sacrifice. I don't know how much you depend on things. I don't know how much you hunger um, for wealth. But I pray that this day and every day, salvation comes to my house and yours. And I pray that God saves us from our trust in wealth. And I pray that we too can release our hold on whatever credit or wealth we think is ours and open both hands like a child trusting our Heavenly Father. Because when Jesus meets the rich, he brings salvation for all who trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, help us um, 
to be humble. When we're children, it's easier because we don't yet know. When we've accumulated stuff, it's harder. When we've learned to keep score, you know, with our wealth, it's harder. When we've, when we've, you know, put our trust in that security for our future, it's harder. But God, break us like this tax collector in the temple. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, humble us like this beggar. Lord, I want to see. Lord, move us even like this rich tax collector, Zacchaeus, who just didn't care about his money, just wanted you. God, shift our hearts and bring salvation to our homes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.